This is Dan's Mega 65 Digest for November 2023. Robot Finds Kitten Part 2. Last month's Digest introduced Robot Finds Kitten, a programming exercise that unites several major concepts of game programming. Updating the display, reading user input, generating random values, timing events, and including and manipulating large amounts of static game data. I offered examples of each of these tasks in BASIC and proposed that these could be used to make a Robot Finds Kitten experience for the Mega 65. In this issue, I want to start reviewing these topics again in assembly language. Without BASIC's help, the program will need to turn to hardware registers and low-level programming techniques to achieve similar effects. Some of these topics are too large for a single newsletter, so we'll take this in two parts. I'll try to keep things simple by limiting this just to the needs of a Robot Finds Kitten program. Applications that require higher speed or more memory may need more sophisticated techniques. This month's digest will focus on using the kernel, printing messages, and drawing characters to the screen, barely scratching the surface of the Mega65's graphics capabilities. Next month, we'll finish Robot Finds Kitten in assembly language with random values, user input, item descriptions, and a simple animation delay. Shipping Update The work continues to finalize the new R5 mainboard hardware for the next delivery batch of computers. Getting the test hardware has taken longer than anticipated, and we are now expecting manufacturing lead times to put the batch 3 delivery in early 2024. Importantly, the team has decided to proceed with the full verification process for the new design, and not skip any steps just to accelerate the schedule. The Mega 65 is manufactured in small volumes in a not-for-profit operation, so we can't afford to rush the process and risk having to remake and replace hardware. We want every computer delivered to be as high in quality as possible. Some pre-orders have been pending for a very long time now, and we thank you for your patience. If you have a pending pre-order and need to make changes, contact Trends Electronic Customer Support. Tristam Island Tristam Island, by Hugo Lebrand, is a new text adventure game for multiple platforms, including the Mega 65. You can get the Deluxe Boxed Edition from publisher Polyplay for 35 euros. The Deluxe Edition includes the game on 3.5-inch floppy disk and on microSD card, a hint book, immersive props such as a rock sample and a postcard, and more. You can also get the digital-only edition for $3.99 US. Thanks to Hugo for the great game and for supporting the Mega 65, and to Polyplay for publishing fun collectible boxed software for our favorite platform. Updated ZX Spectrum Core Did you know that you can turn your Mega 65 into a ZX Spectrum? You can with the ZX Spectrum Core. This core just received a major overhaul to use the Mr. to Mega 65 framework, and now works with modern displays. Download the ZX Spectrum Core from Filehost, then follow these detailed instructions, link in the article, for setup and enjoyment. The core expects certain files in specific locations on the SD card, and uses ESX-DOS, 
version 0.8.8, not 0.8.9, for SD card access. It can load .tap and .trd files. Once again, thanks to Psy2002 and M. Yurigan for their amazing work on setting up the Mega 65 for retro core success. More arcade cores. Muse continues the great work of porting arcade game cores to the Mega 65. Bombjack from 1984 and Bosconian from 1981 are both available. The complete list of alternate cores for the Mega 65 so far include the Commodore 64 core, ZX Spectrum, Game Boy, and then the arcade cores Galaga, Bosconian, Xevious, and Bombjack. Along with a Mega 65 development core in slot 1 and a factory-installed stable core in slot 0, that's more cores than there are core slots on the Mega 65. Just keep the .cor files on your SD card and flash them as needed. Conference Talks Mega 65 enthusiasts have been giving talks at computer conferences this year, and several of them now have video online. Check these out, links in the article as usual. Oliver Graff, aka Leiden, at the Vintage Computing Festival Berlin 2023. Jim Happel, or Jim underscore 64, at Commodore Retro Expo 2023. Dan Sanderson, DDDAANNN, that's me, at Pacific Commodore Expo Northwest 2023. If you have given a presentation on the Mega 65, even just to your local computer club, and there's video online, please let me know so I can feature it here. Robot Finds Kitten in Assembly Language Let's take a look at how you might implement Robot Finds Kitten in Mega 65 Assembly Language. This month we'll focus on using the Kernel API and manipulating the display. Next month, we'll cover the remaining topics to get a Robot Finds Kitten program working, similar to what we did in BASIC last month. As before, I'll be using the Acme Assembler. You can see the article for uh, basically all, all the code samples. I'm not going to read the assembly language code samples out loud, but in the article you can see a reminder of the starter code for an assembly language program that assembles to a PRG file that can be loaded and run. Introducing the kernel. Every Commodore computer has a built-in operating system powered by machine code etched into the computer's read-only memory, or ROM. You see this code running as soon as you turn on the computer. The ready prompt, the blinking cursor, and the basic interpreter and all of the basic commands are all built-in code. Included in this code is a collection of machine code routines and subsystems for accessing hardware such as the keyboard, screen, and disk drives. In computer architecture terms, these routines are known as the kernel, the centerpiece of the system used by other components. Commodore employee Robert Russell originally misspelled the word kernel as K-E-R-N-A-L. In the documentation, the correct spelling is K-E-R-N-E-L. And this became a nickname for the software. For the sake of tradition, I continue to refer to the Commodore kernel as the kernel K-E-R-N-A-L using uppercase letters in the written article and the documentation. A program can call kernel routines by way of a jump table, a list of jump instructions built into the ROM at a fixed memory location. Each jump instruction redirects to the actual location of the routine elsewhere in memory. The jump table exists to give programmers peace of mind that each jump instruction will stay at a consistent address for all future revisions of the kernel. 
When changes in the kernel code inevitably push an internal routine to a new location, the jump table is updated accordingly, so programs that use the routine continue to function without needing an update. Here's a useful example. The kernel maintains a system for printing Petsky codes to the screen. As we've seen before, these codes manipulate a cursor that determines the location of the next printable character and maintains other properties such as the text color and display attributes. The basic print command uses this system to display strings of codes and characters. Machine code programs can also access this system using a routine called CHROUT for character out, also called BSOUT in some documentation, available via the jump table entry at hexadecimal address FFD2. The chur out routine has a precondition that the Petsky code to print is in the accumulator CPU register A. The effect of calling the routine is to print the Petsky code at the current cursor position. If the code is a printable character, it plots the character, moves the cursor, and performs other effects like scrolling the display as needed. If the code is some other Petsky code, such as code 147 to clear the screen and move the cursor to the top left corner, that code takes effect. The jump table is part of the Application Programming Interface, or API, of the kernel. The API definition also includes the preconditions and postconditions of each routine and other important behavioral characteristics about what the routine does. All kernel jump table entries designed for the Commodore 64 and Commodore 128 are valid on the Mega 65, with some changes. While neither the C65 nor the Mega 65 have introduced new table entries, future versions of the Mega 65 ROM could extend the table further without changing any of the existing entries. It's important to remember that the Mega 65 ROM is an active construction zone, and only some of the kernel APIs borrowed from previous Commodores are considered officially supported for now. Some things that Commodore 64 programmers may be used to aren't official APIs, even if they appear to function today. When the dust has settled on the major bug fixes, the Mega 65 team will formalize more of the kernel API surface, adding documentation about supported features to the manuals, and building automated tests to ensure that the APIs work properly. The kernel jump table is officially supported, as are certain specific facts about the memory layout, such as hexadecimal address 2001 being the start address for basic programs. Once a machine code program is running, it is not obligated to use the kernel. In fact, many games and larger utilities jettison the kernel entirely, installing custom interrupt handler routines, defining a custom memory map, and manipulating the computer entirely through hardware registers. For such a program, the only API surface is the hardware itself, and there is no need to integrate with the kernel except to launch the program. If the program does use kernel routines and systems, it must honor the kernel's documented preconditions and stay out of its way. Printing a short message using the kernel. The article contains an example of using the kernel chur out routine to clear the screen and print a short message. This example uses the X indexing addressing mode to access characters in the message stored in program memory. LDA message comma X takes the address of the message via the assembler symbol message and adds the value in the X register to it. The X register is one byte with the range of possible values of 0 to 255. This limits the length of the message to 254 Petsky codes and one zero byte to indicate the end of the message. 
There's another way to print short messages using another kernel routine. The prim routine, P-R-I-M-M, at hexadecimal address FF7D will print a null-terminated message with the message's bytes immediately following the JSR instruction. It's like having a print command for assembly language. It seems like a magic trick for the message bytes to be sitting in the middle of the code like this. How does the CPU know to skip over the message to the next instruction? The prim routine is quite clever. When the CPU encounters a JSR instruction, it remembers the address just after the instruction so it can pick up where it left off when the subroutine exits with the RTS instruction. The prim routine assumes that this address is the starting byte for the message and starts printing. When prim finds the zero, it updates the return address to just after the zero, then issues the RTS. The CPU is blissfully unaware that prim has been messing with the return address and proceeds to execute the rest of the program. Pretty slick. Note that prim is also limited to messages of 254 characters. To print a longer message, we need a different strategy. Printing longer messages. In the code example in the article, message is a symbol whose value is determined by the assembler and inserted into the code where the word appears. Wouldn't it be great if we could update the value of the message symbol as the program executes, like a variable? The value of message is written into the machine code, and this code is just bytes in memory. One option is to update the address bytes within the code by writing to the appropriate memory locations, then execute the code. This technique, known as self-modifying code, is quite common and not that difficult with a bit of care. The following routine accepts the low byte and high byte of the message address in the Y and Z registers and prints the message until it encounters a zero byte. It relies on the knowledge that the LDA, X instruction assembles to three bytes, one for the instruction code and two for the address. It uses the X register as before, but this time it tests whether X wraps around from 255 to 0, then increments the high byte of the address and continues printing. This gives us a maximum message length of 65,535 characters, which is more than enough. See the article for the full routine. Changing the cursor location. Another useful kernel routine for printing is the plot routine at hexadecimal address FFF0. Plot can do two things. It can either move the cursor to given coordinates, or it can report the coordinates of the cursor's location. You can use the carry flag to choose between the two actions. To move the cursor, clear the carry flag with the CLC instruction, then set the X register to the column number and the Y register to the row number. To ask plot to report the current location, set the carry flag with the SEC instruction before calling it. Instead of changing the cursor position, plot will override the values in the X and Y registers with the current cursor location. A word of caution. When the kernel print system prints a character in the bottom right corner of the screen, it assumes that more text needs to appear on the following line, and scrolls the text display to make room. When plotting characters for game graphics, this probably isn't what you want. A simple, albeit unsatisfying, way to avoid this issue is to never print a character in the bottom right corner. Accessing screen memory. You could make a robot finds kitten game using just the kernel print system, 
Use plot and chur out with Petsky codes to draw items and erase and draw the robot character as it moves across the screen. Most games don't use the kernel print system to plot characters at all. Instead, they write directly to screen memory, color memory, and registers in the VIC-4 chip. This avoids issues like the kernel scrolling the text display, at the expense of doing other things manually, such as calculating memory locations for screen coordinates, and managing character attributes and colors. If your program uses the kernel print routines, it's best to let the kernel manage screen memory as much as possible. The kernel uses internal variables to keep track of some screen properties, and these need to be consistent with its own understanding of the state of the video hardware. If you change the screen mode or relocate screen memory via VIC-4 registers without telling the kernel, actions performed by Petsky codes, such as clearing the screen, may not function correctly. Handling screen memory is an essential skill for assembly language programmers. It's also a deep topic. So let's limit this discussion of screen memory to a few salient facts. To tell the kernel to set the screen mode to 80 by 25 text, print the escape plus 8 key sequence with chur out, as if you were typing it at the ready prompt. Use the Petsky codes for the escape key and the 8 character. If you're not using the kernel, you can select the screen mode with flag registers at location hexadecimal D031. To get 80 by 25, clear the V400 register, that's bit 3, and set the H640 register at bit 7. Without the kernel, you will need to write your own message printing routines that write directly to screen memory. You can't use chur out. The starting address of screen memory is in a VIC-4 register known as Screen Pointer, S-C-R-N-P-T-R, a 28-bit value stored at hexadecimal addresses D060 to D063, least significant byte first. The kernel will set this when you print the escape sequence for the screen mode. If you're not using the kernel, you can set this to any address you like in the first 384 kilobytes of memory by writing its address to these registers. The kernel's preferred memory location for a 40 by 25 or 80 by 25 screen is address hexadecimal 0800. Strictly speaking, this is not a documented fact. A program that relies on the kernel's setting must read it from screen pointer and never assume its value. For propriety, the examples below will read the screen pointer value instead of assuming it. But, at least for now, I am also relying on the fact that the address is within bank 0 addresses 0000 to FFFF, so we can use 16-bit addressing modes and don't have to worry about accessing upper memory. Note that this won't work with 80 by 50 text mode because the kernel relocates screen memory to bank 1 for this mode. As with BASIC's T at ampersand special array, screen memory contains screen codes that represent the characters in the character set. The codes are organized in columns, then rows, from top left to bottom right. The first 80 bytes are the top row, the next 80 bytes are the next row, and so on, for 80 by 25, meaning 2,000 bytes. The example in the article uses the self-modifying code technique to store a value in screen memory. The STA instruction can only operate on 16-bit addresses, so it uses the lower two bytes of screen pointer and assumes the upper bytes are zero, an address in bank zero. Color memory. In the regular text mode, color memory stores the foreground color and attributes for each character on the screen, organized in the same way. 
One way to access color memory is starting at address hexadecimal D800. There's one issue, though. By default, only the first one kilobyte of color memory is visible here, from D800 to DBFF. That's not enough for all 2,000 characters of an 80 by 25 display. This is solved by yet another of the Mega65's many modes. The CRAM2K register, bit 0 of D030, swaps the registers from DC00 to DFFF with the remaining color memory. To do this, it hides other hardware registers normally at these locations, such as the CIA chip registers. The kernel expects to see these registers here and not color memory, so you must clear the bit before calling kernel routines. The kernel IRQ is smart enough to stash and restore your CRAM2K setting, so you don't need to disable interrupts. That's a topic for another time. From coordinates to screen memory addresses. Given screen coordinates of column X and row Y, the offset into screen memory for that coordinate is Y times 80 plus X. The CPU doesn't have an instruction that can multiply any two numbers, but it does have a quick and easy way to multiply a number by two. It can shift the bits of a number to the left using the arithmetic shift left instruction, ASL. If it's not clear that shifting the bits of a number to the left multiply it by two, write out a binary number, then write a zero at the end. For example, the binary number 0110 is 2 plus 4 equals 6 in decimal. Write a zero at the end and it becomes 0100, which is 4 plus 8, which is 12 in decimal. Just as writing a zero at the end of a decimal or base 10 number multiplies by the number 10, writing a zero at the end of a binary or base 2 number multiplies it by 2. Using a combination of left shift and addition operations, we can calculate the screen memory address for a given set of coordinates in three steps. Step 1. Calculate the row offset from the y coordinate, stored in a memory variable, using bit shift and addition operations to multiply y by 80. Step 2. Add the base address and the row offset stored in the address part of the sta, x instruction, using self modifying code. Step 3. Use x-indexing with the x-coordinate to determine the final address and set the screen code. To update color memory, the only difference in this routine would be to use a different base address and set CRAM2K while updating memory. Base page indirect addressing. Each machine code instruction that accesses memory can operate in one or more addressing modes, ways for the CPU to figure out what address to use. We've seen three addressing modes in the example so far. Immediate mode. Use the value given in the instruction. The following example loads the number 7 from the instruction into the accumulator. LDA space number sign 7. Absolute mode. Use the 16-bit address given in the instruction. This example loads the value stored at address hexadecimal 20CF into the accumulator. LDA space dollar sign 20CF. Absolute X indexed mode. Take the given 16-bit address, then add the value from the X register to it and use that as the address. The following example sets the X register to hexadecimal 2F, then loads the value stored at the address calculated as hexadecimal 20CF 
plus the value in the X register, 20CF plus 2F equals 20FE, into the accumulator. LDX space number sign dollar sign 2F, LDA space dollar sign 20CF, comma X. The X register can contain a value from 0 to 255, which limits the range of the X indexed addressing mode. Earlier, I used self-modifying code to get around this problem, allowing for performing calculations on the entire address. The example in the article at this point rewrites the 16-bit address portion of an instruction that's using absolute mode addressing, then executes the modified instruction. Earlier, we've also seen examples of self-modifying code rewriting the 16-bit address portion of an X-indexed instruction. Writing the address directly into an instruction like this is only really practical if only one instruction needs the address, and the modifying code knows exactly which address to modify. In many cases, it'd be better if we could store the address in one memory location like a variable, then tell the instructions where to find it. Base page indirect addressing mode can do exactly that. The example in the article stores a 16-bit address at memory location hexadecimal 10 to hexadecimal 11, then accesses it using the wide register as an index. The ACME assembler spells this mode using parentheses, so it would be something like LDA space open parentheses dollar sign 10 close parentheses comma Y to use Y indexing on the 16-bit address stored at address hexadecimal 10. So why didn't I do this earlier? Well, there's a catch. The address must be written to the base page, a region of 256 bytes that gets special treatment. Commodore 64 programmers know this as the zero page within the addresses 0000 to 00FF. The CPU uses special forms of its instructions to access these addresses faster and with more compact code than absolute 16-bit addresses. So the base page is a great place to put variables. It's so useful, in fact, that the kernel claims all of the zero page for its own use. If your program uses the kernel, you must protect the zero page so that it's the way the kernel left it by the time you call a kernel routine. With the original 6502 CPU, the base page is always at address 0000, hence the name zero page. The 65CE02 CPU, on which the Mega 65's 45GS02 is based, adds a feature that lets you use any 256-byte page of the first 64K of memory as the base page. The B register holds the top two nibbles, two hexadecimal digits, of the address of the base page. Your program can stake out its own base page and set the B register to that location to use it. I recommend base page B equals hexadecimal 16, that's hexadecimal addresses 1600 to 16FF, which is reserved for use by your program. You must change B back to 00 before calling a kernel routine. The base page being set to 00 is a precondition of all kernel routines. The B register is preserved along with other registers during interrupt handling, so you don't have to worry about confusing the kernel IRQ. To set the B register, put the desired value in the accumulator then use the TAB instruction, transfer A to B. If you need to read the B register, transfer it back to the accumulator first with TBA. 
The requirement to go through A to set or read B sometimes requires a bit of register wrangling. Another register consideration to keep in mind, base page indirect addressing always uses an index register. The LDA instruction supports using the Y or Z registers as indexes for this mode. If you just want to use the address directly, you must set the index register to zero. See the article for another version of the long message printer using base page indirect addressing, preserving the zero page for the kernel, and using page hexadecimal 16 for the program's base page. Try to follow which register has which value. This is not necessarily better than the earlier version using self-modifying code, especially with all the register flipping required, but it illustrates the use of base page variables as address pointers. The 45GSO2 CPU has another base page indirect addressing mode, and it's super useful. 32-bit base page indirect addressing lets you use a 32-bit address instead of a 16-bit address. With the Acme Assembler and Mega65 mode, this is indicated using square brackets instead of parentheses. Only the Z register is supported as the index in this mode. Notice that other addressing modes do not support 32-bit addresses, so we can't use the self-modifying code method to access upper memory, at least not in the same way. We can adapt the second version of the printing routine to be able to print long messages from anywhere in the Mega65's memory with minimal changes, but we can't adapt the first version with self-modifying code as easily. Earlier, I made a potentially unsafe assumption that the kernel used an address between 0000 and FFFF for the screen pointer in 80x25 mode, and I just ignored the upper bits of the screen pointer address. With 32-bit base page indirect addressing, I don't have to do that. I can just copy the entire address from screen pointer to a 4-byte base page variable, then use 32-bit indirect addressing to access screen memory. Incidentally, Upper memory addresses 1F800 through 1FFFF are another way to access the first 2K of color memory, with no need to set the CRAM 2K flag. In my implementation of Robot Finds Kitten, I use base page hexadecimal 16 for variable storage and base page indirect addressing for plotting characters with the full 4-byte screen pointer address and for plotting colors to 1F800. I set the B register to hexadecimal 16 at the beginning of the program and wrapped my kernel calls to set B to 0 before the call and set it back to 16 afterward. As you can see, there are multiple ways to accomplish certain tasks. For high-speed applications, you may need to make your choices based on the amount of CPU time each operation takes, measured in CPU cycles. Instruction cycle counts are listed in the manual. Robot Finds Kitten is not speed critical, so I just went with what made my code easiest for me to understand. That's a good start. With the kernel output routines and screen memory access, we have the tools to replicate basics print, t at ampersand, and c at ampersand facilities in assembly language. Next month, we'll look at another important kernel facility for accepting keyboard input and some snazzy Mega65 hardware features for generating random numbers and measuring time. We'll close by designing data structures to access all of the item descriptions, and prevent two items from landing on the same place on the screen. For comparison and enjoyment, here's my basic version of Robot Finds Kitten. See the link in the article, as usual. 
It's faithful to Leonard Richardson's version, which is not particularly creative of me, but hopefully it serves as a useful reference implementation. Happy coding. See you next month. For more, visit m65digest.substack.com.